welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, your guys guy, welcoming you to the show, the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. Today is July 12th, 2017. We've got a great show. We've got a special guest, a writer, novelist like myself, but he's a literary, he's in the literary fiction area and he's a wonderful writer. His name is Christopher David Rosales. And we're going to talk about his books, but in particular, his first book, The Silence the Bird, Silence the Keeper. And uh, he's a pretty amazing guy. He's won a lot of awards. We're going to bring him out in a few minutes. And I, I look forward to speaking with him because uh, I really like his work and uh, I have a lot of respect for uh, uh, literary fiction because it's not easy to write and it's a skill and it's, uh, it's not appreciated the way it should be. I mean... People read nowadays, they read on the computer. You're lucky to get a blog read if it's over, uh, if it's over 500 words because everybody's attention span is uh, 140 characters, including our president, I guess. But uh, we're looking forward to bringing Christopher David Rosales out in a few moments. But let's uh, talk about a little bit what's going out, on out there in uh, Guys Guys World. Here we are in New York City. It is July 12th, and it's hot, and it's steamy, and it's sweaty. And that's the way we expect it to be in the summer in New York. And uh, as part of that, when I do my Guys Guys Guide segment at the latter tail end of the show, if you will, I'm going to talk about the pros and cons and the question, is it worth living in New York City? I've been here a while, but I grew up in the suburbs and I went back to the suburbs. I came back to the city of a place down the Jersey Shore that I go to and uh, and I've traveled all around the world and um, starting to wonder, has New York, New York played out its time with me? And we're going to talk about the pros and cons. So let's talk about what's going on out there. Just before the show, I checked out online. I was looking at the, uh, it hadn't started yet, but the uh, Conor McGregor uh, Money Mayweather uh, fight press conferences. Uh, as you know, McGregor is an MMA fighter and uh, Mayweather is a boxer, undefeated, considers himself the best ever and he's uh, probably he's probably the richest fighter of all time he's coming out of retirement to fight an ma fight fighter but they're going to box they're going to use 10 ounce gloves and it's going to be in the ring standard boxing rules so as much as conor mcgregor is a tough guy he's never boxed anybody so <laughs> boxing probably the best boxer in the world is a uh, tall order but he's going to get paid a heck of a lot of money and i don't think the fight's going to be very good it'll be weird uh, I'm certainly not going to pay $100 to see it, especially after getting burned by the uh, Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, or non-fight, if you will. But the press conference I watched yesterday, and it was absolutely hilarious. Um, I think what McGregor has to do to have a chance in this fight is get inside Mayweather's head the way Mayweather usually gets inside other fighters' heads. And it seemed like Mayweather was actually mad, angry yesterday, and you never see him that way. So maybe it's working. We'll see what happens. They're going to be in Toronto today and then they're going to uh, Brooklyn tomorrow and then off to London uh, and I think actually the promotion is going to exceed the uh, the fight in terms of entertainment but it's uh, this is what it's come to folks freak shows it's like uh, what was it uh, Rocky he, he fought a wrestler I think and he got tossed out of a ring but uh, this is going to be a little bit different I think the uh, Great White Hype remember that movie the Great White Hype with uh, Peter Berg and Damon Wayans, I think it's going to be a little bit more like that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I'm going to check the highlights after our show. Um, also, 
we had the uh, Major League Baseball All-Star Game in the Home Run Derby, and it looks like a star has been born on the New York Yankees, the six foot eight. 280-pound Aaron Judge, who hit like five in the home run derby. He won a uh, derby. He won easily. He hit like five balls over 500 feet. They're now saying that the balls are juiced now. But this kid, he's already hit over 30 home runs in half a season, and he is the new face of the New York Yankees. And so we'll see if he can keep it up. Uh, there's two other great, great players in the game right now, offensive players, uh, two young guys, Mike Trout, who's been around for six years, and uh, – the guy on the uh, Washington Nationals, his name escapes me right now, but it will come to me. But anyhow, those two, and, and the point is, those two guys are kind of uh, invisible because everybody's talking about Aaron Judge now because, you know what, he hits the long ball. So we'll see what happens with that, and we'll see uh, how the Yankees do the second half of the year. I'm not expecting too much, um, but uh, it's fun. It's a ride because this was a year where they're just going to play the young kids and see what's happened. And they're losing a lot of uh, payroll at the end of the season. They're freeing up some money. So hopefully next year they'll sign some guys. Uh, So what else is happening? Well, of course, we have the Donald Trump Jr. revelation. And uh, the thing I don't understand, no matter what side you're on, obviously this was a bad move, him uh, not only taking that meeting, but also uh, not being very truthful uh, about it. And, uh, And then coming out with all the emails on his own pretty much incriminating himself. Now we'll see what happens. Is this the tip of the iceberg or is that it? You haven't heard anything by the head of the FBI and his uh, team that's digging into this thing, but it seems like the, you know, the whole situation is really uh, starting to unravel now. And just at the point where people were starting to say, you know, enough with this Russia thing, they can't tie it together. And now it looks like they've got some glue. So we'll see what happens there. Here in the Northeast, we've got a governor in the state of New Jersey, Chris Christie. And, uh, Maybe you're aware of it, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, they shut down. In fact, I think around a week ago, they shut down the beaches, all the public uh, facilities in New Jersey uh, due to a uh, budget kind of crisis. So all the state stuff was shut down. But the governor, because he gets to use a a big uh, uh, home uh, on one of the state parks, decided that he and his family would just go out on the beach and they would be the only ones allowed to use it. And he basically said when questioned, well, first they tried to say he wasn't on the beach, and then they showed the photos that he was. And, you know, it's amazing how this, this po- political lying has become just so commonplace. But then he basically told everybody, hey, uh, if you're the governor, you can do it too. And uh, just really rubbing people's face in it. But what I want to mention about our governor of New Jersey is that now he spends many of his afternoons uh, substituting for our uh, Mike Francesa. Uh, who's the uh, sports radio, probably the number one guy in sports radio of all time, who's on WFAN in the afternoon. And he's going to, uh, his contract is up at the end of this year, and he's going to end up doing something else, which has been undisclosed so far. But they're talking about Chris Christie, possibly because his uh, his reign as governor is going to be over at the end of his term, not his reign, but he treats it like a reign uh, at the end of the, the year. So, He's been pinch hitting, if you will, for Mike Francesa. But you know what? The taxpayers are paying his salary, and this guy is in the studio four hours a day doing sports talk radio. New Jersey is a state, having grown up there and lived there many years, fraught with problems. And for the governor on the people's dime 
to be co-hosting sports radio is highly questionable, if you will. But you don't see anything about it in the press. People are just accepting like things suck. So we're just going to put up with it. And it's going to get to a breaking point and uh, things are going to change. And I think they're going to change for the better. Uh, let's see what else we can talk about real quick. And then we'll get our guest out here. Uh, let's just mention the whole guys, guys radio thing. We're, we're approaching our 250 podcast and it's been a real trip. The whole guys, guy brand, if you will, when men, women, when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins began after I launched my debut novel, the guys, guys, guy to love, which is a commercial fiction. It's a, it's kind of a rom-com with a message in it. And it's about two guys in advertising, competing love for love, sex, and power and money. It's been called the male sex in the city. Um, and I'm proud of it. And I had a lot of fun with it. And it's really had some legs. So because uh, relationships were at the core of the book, uh, we kind of rode that tailwind and we launched Guys Guys Radio and started talking to relationship experts. And then we expanded the club, if you will, on Guys Guys Radio. We've, we're, as, as with this evening, spoken to a lot of terrific writers, uh, a lot of spiritual and wellness experts, entertainers, some people in fantasy sports, and it just keeps getting better and better. And I'm so appreciative of our audience as it continues to grow. And we're having a lot of fun with the show and uh, we're moving it around. Sometimes we have a cha- We had a channeler on a couple of weeks ago, Paul Selig. And, uh, and this week we've got a, a, a great writer who does literary fiction. So I'm excited about that. And uh, I thank you all for, uh, Staying with us as we grow, because we're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And our message is going to get through to people about when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And, you know, better men, better world. This is a time where uh, the old for men, the old solutions, the old ways aren't working anymore. We've got to get through to them. We've got to get through to guys because what they've been doing for many years, the old rules don't apply anymore. And they're having a heck of a lot of trouble adapting. Young guys, they're having trouble figuring out who they are. Women are on a straight, narrow track. They're getting long overdue recognition. And there's more to come. Guys, you know, you take the millennials. They're caught somewhere between the MMA and manscaping. They're not sure what their role is supposed to be. The boomers, they just keep it. The boomer guys that I know, they just they define themselves by their wallet and their job. And I know they want to change, but they don't know how. And they usually just try to adapt things so they can keep doing what they've been doing, whether it's diet, lifestyle, how much money they spend, what they consume. It's really hard for people to change. And I, I'm going to go on a journey to help that, to help guys. And I hope you're with me with that because we need guys. We need guys to be the best they can be. And that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to help. So anyhow, uh, my website, robertmanny.com. You can re- read my weekly blog there. And as I mentioned, I'm going to talk about one of my blog posts that's going to go up uh, next week, actually. I'm going to talk about it this week, and that is about New York City. Um, tomorrow, the blog post that goes up is about dealing with anxiety. I talked about it a bit last week. I had to go in for an annual MRI. And, uh, you know, anxiety is all in your head. So I talked about that, even though, you know, everybody's got their own their own anxiety triggers. And it's important that we talk about things like that and how to deal with it because most of it is just in our mind. Um, Facebook, I'm on Twitter, YouTube, and every podcast of Block Talk uh, of Guys Guys Radio is on Block Talk Radio, iTunes, 
Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And if you want to help us out, go on iTunes, subscribe. You can get all the blogcasts, uh, <laughs> podcasts you want for free, on demand whenever you want. If you can rate the podcast and review, that would be fantastic too. And again, thank you for your support, and we really love doing what we're doing here. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to bring our special guest, Christopher David Rosales, and talk about his new book. Okay, we're back. It is 7.13, and let's get on with the show. So as I mentioned to you, we have a very special author who's joining us this evening. The book that I have received and read is Silence the Bird, Silence the Keeper, but he's got other books. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Christopher David Rosales. He, his first novel, Silence the Bird, Silence the Keeper, from uh, Mixer Publishing, won the McNamara Creative Arts Grant. He previously won the Center of the American West's Award for Fiction, and he won it three years in a row. He's a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Denver, and he's taught at the university-level creative writing for 10 years. His second novel, Gods on the Lamb, comes out right now. I think it just came out, actually, uh, in June. And it's from Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing. And also, he's got another uh, third novel that's coming out in uh, 2018 called Word is Bone. So he's got a lot going on. So let's bring him on right now and talk about his books and the art of fiction. Christopher, good evening. Hi, Robert. You there, Christopher? Good to be talking with you tonight. Oh, thanks so much. I'm really pleased to have you on the show. Can you hear me? I can hear you great, loud and clear. Great. Okay, good. So let's, uh, let's get right to the book. Now, the book I have and the book I read was uh, Silence the Bird, Silence the Keeper. So why don't we start there, and then we'll get into your other books. Um, tell our viewers, if you would, just briefly, what, what's, what is this story about? It's about a family in a, an alternate Los Angeles county that's trapped on all sides, really, by uh, guerrillas, narco-traffickers, and a fascist government regime. And they make the decision as Americans to um, illegally emigrate out of the country. But there's, there's quite a lot of uh, danger in trying to maneuver around that trident of, of forces. So they, they do the best they can. And uh, we watch them play out their, their domestic problems right alongside and with equal uh, troubles and joys um, right alongside this larger conflict. Now, would you consider uh, yourself a literary uh, novelist? Good question. Um, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for, uh, for distinguishing between popular genres and literary mm -hmm. genre, but I do consider it ultimately a genre, um, just like I would consider Western a genre or romance right. a genre. And, and, sure. and I think that's because, yeah, that's because readers um, approach different books with certain expectations. And hopefully as a writer, um, you're, you're helping set out those expectations and then you're satisfying them or challenging them. And so I think literary is a genre just like, just like any other. Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that's interesting about the book, it's like, it's, it's very well written, written, by the way. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yet, yet these chapters, it's got short chapters. It moves along quickly. 
And um, what was your inspiration uh, going into this book and kind of your vision as to how you wanted to kind of map it out and stitch it together? Well, I knew I wanted to uh, tell it in a communal we voice because I wanted to privilege the neighborhood's voice in this. I wanted to privilege Mm -hmm. the community that made it um, that was that was a helpful decision at the outset that came to me like a lightning bolt um, when I when I wrote the first line. I've never written the first line to a book at the very beginning of writing a book. And somehow with this one that happened. So once I knew I had that we voice then I knew I had permission to sort of gossip, speculate, move from character to character the way that a community would. And I chose to alternate chapters with the various characters. And that really, I think, kept things moving so that there is a, um, it's a, it's troublesome material. It's not very, it's not always comforting though. I tried to throw in a lot of humor but I think having that alternation and keeping the chapters quick, it, it came to me as a way to um, a scaffold that would mm-hmm. then allow me to maybe cover this troublesome content in a way that wouldn't, wouldn't exhaust the reader because they can move a little bit. They can, they can kind of juke around the book a little bit. And uh, the last thing you want a reader to do is to be dreading turning the next page, you know, so. Mm-hmm. No, it's dense. Uh, and I don't say that it's not criticism by anything. I say that because it's so well written. There's a lot packed in short chapters. Like you really have to, you have to really read this. You don't just like skim through it, but the chapters are short. So I found it very interesting that you had this little bit of a, a bifurcation of uh, how you wrote the book. So mm-hmm. uh, congratulations. I, I haven't read too many books that are written this way, but I really like it. Um, oh, I'm happy what about Good. Um, what about the barrio of L.A.? Uh, why did that create the right environment for you? And why did you want to write that about that? And why is it right for the story, in your opinion? I wanted to write a, about this area because I grew up in this area, not the type of reality that is in the book, but uh, mm-hmm. in, in the 90s in Southern California, L.A. County. And the settings are very familiar in some ways and very uh, surreal in, in others with relation to the book, but it, it's a place that matters very deeply to me. My family's been there a long time and I wanted to elevate stories about this area to the significance that we give, um, give a, a lot of other stories about other people and other nations and other um, other perhaps maybe ethnicities in power positions uh, that get privileged in, in say Hollywood movies, that sort of thing. So right. I wanted to give it an, an, an epic scale that would elevate the town to that level of importance. It is that important to me in my heart. And these issues are that important to me in my heart. And so I thought that by telling a story that did that, perhaps it could become as important to other people in their hearts. Got it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the main character. Uh, I saw the main character as Trey. Um, what is it mm-hmm. that he wants and what is preventing him from getting it? Interesting, interestingly enough, I don't know that he or the reader really knows what he wants at the outset. I think he is performing machismo, performing mm-hmm what he thinks his gender should be doing. And 
shows through in violence and braggadocio and hypersexualized behavior. Um, and he meets a woman that, that changes that value system for him. And, and he realizes quickly that, that perhaps it was his family that mattered all along. Um, I don't want to give anything away in terms of how that manifests. Sure. But mm-hmm. I, wanted to, I wanted to subvert this idea that happens a lot of the time, in, particularly in urban spaces where there's a lot at risk and a lot at stake, where men, young men can seem to behave in exactly the way that will not get them what they need in life yeah. um, and engage in this self-destructive behavior simply because they, uh, they grew up observing it from other men. Um, and so I wanted to challenge that and have a character that definitely represented that. So in that way, there's a little bit of a, perhaps there was a message there all along. I wasn't sure maybe in the writing of it, but I've realized in hindsight that that's something I've struggled with as a man is how to really balance, um, how to balance myself. Mm-hmm. That's well stated. Um, talk to us a little bit, if you would, uh, about any symbolism, um, you know, with the authoritarian military regime, the local kind of guerrilla force, the, the characters that we uh, get into their lives. Uh, is there anything symbolic that uh, they represent more than just what they are uh, and face value? I think back to that idea of power positions and really being willing to think critically about how power can be institutionalized um, or institutional, mm-hmm. how it can be pretty, be pretty tough to, to undermine those institutions from, from the bottom. And, and I think, I think also for me, it was a way to explore what I see as um, an equalization of the United States along Mm -hmm. with any other uh, problems we see in states and nations across the globe. Oftentimes I think Americans really um, view America as the greatest country in the world. And I admire the positivity, but I wanted to beg the question uh, that perhaps these things aren't so far off from us. And so perhaps we could be more sympathetic when they happen to others. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, Let's touch a little bit on the, the core characters in the book. Um, You've got the father for, 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 Filero, then you've got uh, who dies early on, then you've got, which I don't think I'm giving anything away, um, you've got uh, mm-hmm. Rudy, Trey, Nora, and Capitan. Could you just talk for our audience a little bit about some of uh, what's kind of the interaction and the kind of journey they're on? Sure. Rudy is an academic and, uh, and trying to do right by his family as best he can while I think feeling a bit um, trepidatious in the face of mm-hmm. possible violence or, or possible uh, even internment because he's written some things that really call the government into question. And uh, so he's doing his best, but he's, he's a tender, he's a tender soul and it, it's pretty tough on him. And I think that puts him in direct opposition to Trey, who is this um, sort of uh, violent, hyper-masculine young man uh, riding his motorcycle around town. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, so Trey very quickly starts to explore outside of the home for other role models. And um, Ru- the Capitan, meanwhile, is uh, someone who, who's part of the naval force, who is around the community, and um, who really catches 
Rudy's daughter's eye. And this puts them in direct conflict because the military is really not a big fan of Rudy and his scholarship. And Rudy sure. is really not a big fan of the idea of Nora uh, dating the Capitan and, and this symbol of, of the military power. So what what is, uh, for uh, readers who are interested and they want to consider picking up the book, what what would you say is kind of the the message of the book, if you will? What are you trying to get through to people without giving away, you know, with the, the whole book, obviously, but like, what's it really, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the spine of the, what's really the core of what the, you're, 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 you're stating here, uh, Christopher. That ultimately, ultimately community and family are what will get you through anything. And even when lacking some kind of power, we, we desire, whether it be money or, you know, um, uh, usually it's money, <laughs> but um, that, that even in the face of that, that we still have the power to tell our own stories and to tell our own stories to each other and to really, um, to really put the narrative in place that allows us to see our life in, in the beautiful light that does shine on it, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a writer, what's your view of uh, redemption? That ultimately it is achievable with the right people around one, loving one, and and being kind. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with yeah. you wholeheartedly. Um, do you think there'll be a sequel to this, or the the, the story? That's the, that's the story. It's a standalone, and that's it. Or do you see these characters having another life, or maybe a book strictly about Nora or Capitan, or you know, an offshoot. I'm I'm going to be a squirmy writer and say it's actually both. Um, mm-hmm. The the uh, the book won't have a sequel per se. So this particular story is its story with this group. But mm-hmm. the the I wrote it as part of uh, three that are all set in alternate versions of the town I grew up in. So those three really, in my mind, they belong together. The um, the second or the other one that's coming out next year, Word is Bone, that's set in the same town, but a very, very different version of it. And that's a love, it's really a love story um, set in the 90s. And the third one is my dissertation I'm working on right now, which is ultimately also a love story. I don't know if you see a a theme here building, but kind of a a love story as well. But that pits characters from this neighborhood. Um, It also transplants them to the world that I've been kind of occupying lately, the university world. And, and so what it's like to be in one world in the nineties back home and what it's like to be in a very different world uh, now at this age. Got it. And how about uh, your second novel, God's on the lamb, which uh, just came out last month. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm really excited about it. It's, it's very different. It's very different than any of these other books. And, um, the, the project, I grew up cutting my teeth on sort of ma- uh, new wave science fiction that my dad would hand off to me uh, in the 70s. Um, well, he didn't hand it off to me in the 70s, but stuff from sort of the 70s and 80s. And, uh, and it really, as I've been reading around different genres, I realized I love them all. I love crime. I love Western. I love romance. I love um, literary. And so I kind of set myself the task to sit down at a literary blender and throw all those genres in there 
and mm-hmm. try to try to see if I could pull it off as a as a as a pleasing art object for readers. Um, and and I am really excited by the way it turned out. It's the only um, it's the only sci-fi horror romance uh, western crime mystery that I've uh, that I've ever written. Now I have to I have to check it out because I love the I love all those genres and if you blended them up it sounds fantastic so I'll definitely check that out. Um, let's sure. talk a little bit if, if it's okay with you um, your process because I'm always as a mm-hmm. as a writer myself I'm always curious about uh, other writers' processes. So how did you uh, how do you come up with your ideas? Do you use an outline? Do you do drafts? Uh, how does it take longer to do the editing or to do the original? book do you know where the book uh you know the ending when you begin i know this book you said you wrote the first line and it's a fantastic first line by the way um it sucked me right in and it's it's a it's a it's got a lot to it uh i won't give it away people you're going to have to pick up the book to get that first sentence but it's it's a it's a killer but so tell us a little bit about how how you work how you come up with your ideas etc Happy to. I think when thinking of a book that's more uh, literary in in terms of my expectation for it, I usually start writing. I, I try to. I I find characters. I think about the characters and what they would be thinking, feeling, what they would be doing for enjoyment. Um, and I start writing, and then I go back and I reverse outline once I have uh, a huge sort of a mess in front of me, and I start struck putting form to that madness. And uh, I find that works really helpful for me because literary fiction, the expectation is that it be more character driven. It really allows me to um, get out of my own way and just feel out who these characters are, if they're real people and they become very real to me. It also is because literary conventions don't require you to, um, there doesn't necessarily have to be a mystery. There doesn't have to be a reason for the reader to, keep moving through. So I don't see a need to do that for myself. Um, with, with fiction like God's on the lamb, which where I'm, I'm deliberately trying to satisfy and challenge uh, these conventions of, of popular genres, I will go ahead and sit down and, and outline that started off as a very short, a short story that mm-hmm. me and a buddy tried to turn into a screenplay that then ultimately I turned back into a novel. So I really had to do a lot of restructuring and a lot of work to, to make it so that each chapter begged a question for the next chapter to answer and so on and so on and so on. Um, that's, that being said, it all comes back to character. Even when I'm outlining, I mean, I really uh, fall in love and hate with these, with these characters and spend a lot of time thinking and writing outside of the story of the novel. So I'll write whole sections that are just them in their hotel room. What would they be doing? You know? Uh, And that is helpful for me to figure out then when I put them in the scene, what would they do in that scene? What um, you're a teacher uh, professor. So what, what's the best advice uh, you could give for new authors? Can ask for a quick clarification. People who, uh, so young young folks who want to start writing 
or someone who's who's just starting to publish. Just just starting. Not, let's say they're not published yet. They're writing, but they're not published mm-hmm. yet. Um, to to get out of one's own way and not not think that you need to be inspired all the time. Uh, I think there's. I think that that is um, the number one way not to write is to wait to be inspired. Inspiration is hard to come by in, in life and in letters. And, uh, and so it's, it's really important to view it as a job. Um, you know, I, there's a, an old joke that I like a lot, you know, as, as a writer, I've never heard a plumber begin a sentence with as a plumber. Um, and I think it's important to think of writing that way that, you know, yep. Don't think that you're doing. Don't think you're doing anything too special. Just get the work done. Mm-hmm. What um, what what you, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, writing today in terms of uh, you know the the publishing business is uh, topsy turvy. Self publishing has created uh, a whole different avenue for a lot of folks. Um, a lot of the traditional publishers are looking to put a round peg in a round hole. They don't take a lot of chances, particularly on uh, fiction. Um, unless, you know, you've got a celebrity attached to it, uh, and people aren't reading books the same way they were before. Now people are reading, they read on a computer all the mm-hmm. time, but it's uh, mm-hmm. a lot of it is short form. But what, as a, as an artist, if you will, what are your thoughts on that? Do you embrace that? Do you say that's just the way the world's going and you adapt with it mm-hmm. and you just do what you do? Or are you like, no, people have to, I have to put out this type of art because people have to, people have to read this type of books because uh, we can't lose that form. What, what, what's your feeling mm-hmm. about that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right about in that description of the lay of the land in publishing right now, I think on the one hand, I'm saddened by it. I, I like holding books in my hand. I really don't, I don't, I will read on a Kindle, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, but a book that I love, I really love because I can touch it, smell it and, and mm-hmm. write in it. And, and it becomes a, an object of art for me. And that's, that's a special thing. I really don't want us to lose. I don't want to have a, a son or daughter one day who doesn't have that experience. Um, and, but, but on the positive side, I think that the publishing industry is doing a lot of things that are similar to what happened with music not too long ago, where what you find is the big five publishing, they might be putting out, they might be doling out um, contracts to writers to make a sort of uh, typical big press book and paying them plenty. But Mm -hmm. The real fun stuff, the stuff that's good, I find increasingly in these small presses that are cropping up. And I've been Mm -hmm. really um, excited to see what they're doing, to see the passion they're doing it with. They're doing it on a hope and a prayer. They have very little budget, and yet they're selling, and they're selling well. And they're, um, they're really increasing the reputations of these authors and of themselves in ways that I think readers who really love to read and can, and really like to spot the next best thing rather than be told what the next best thing is, they mm-hmm. need to go to those small, small presses, you know? Yeah, that's, that's well stated. Uh, how about the whole Amazon issue? What's uh, your feeling about Amazon in terms of uh, books? Now they actually here in New York, they have a bookstore. They're coming up with a second one and it's not like a traditional bookstore. There's very few books in the store. They don't have prices on it. You have to bring it over to a scanner. But uh, people, it was both times I went, uh, it was packed with people. Uh, but I'm like, what's, I don't get it. 
Uh, I know there's a mm-hmm. business reason for Amazon doing it, but just what's your feelings about Amazon having uh, kind of changed the whole game in publishing? I know I don't make a lot uh, per book on Amazon. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, we don't. Uh, that, that's definitely more beneficial for them and for the readers. And so I yeah. try to remind myself when I get when I get a little skeptical of monopolies and my, uh, you know, my more curmudgeonly side comes out, I try to remind myself, you know, I have a lot of friends, a lot of family or um, who, who if they couldn't order the book on Amazon or they couldn't read it on a Kindle, they probably wouldn't read it. And really? that's okay. not calling, that's not calling them out. It's just that mm-hmm. it's so yep. easy to one click shop and yep. we all live very busy lives. And I try to remain sympathetic to that from the reader's standpoint. It's tough though. It's tough to imagine, um, you know, no more brick and mortar, you know, just the brick and mortar stores, how much I love to sit in a bookstore, how much that matters to me to actually take the time to go buy it at a counter. Uh, that is, that is, yeah, tough for me. How about the whole uh, kind of the back end? Because uh, you can have a terrific piece of work. And then, um, you know, these publishing companies, they don't do a lot for the writers. Uh, we really have mm-hmm. to uh, build our own quote unquote brand, if you will, through uh, mm-hmm. traditional marketing and social media. How, I mean, I, I don't think mm-hmm. a lot of writers really realize that, hey, you know what? The work has just begun after you got the book finished. Wow, that's that's profound and true. I find myself saying to students sometimes, you know, right now is actually the easy part. You think that the publication is going to be it, and then you've won, you're at the top of the mountain. But actually, that's when the work starts. You know, now you've trained yourself to be a writer for years so that you could get really good at writing, and then the world tells you, okay, but be really good at marketing and also be really good at publicity and also be really good at branding and also be really good. And, uh, you know, I try to be open and honest with students about that aspect of it because it is a full-time job. And usually if you're a writer, you already have one or two other full-time jobs. Um, yeah, exactly. So that is, yeah, that's the state state of affairs. Um, at the same time, we're really doing something something that is special uh, and, and something that I think people still see a lot of value in and see as important. So that's, that's something that um, it comes with the territory, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, uh, you know, started out, I, I want to ask a question for uh, people who come to you and they say, Christopher or uh, Professor Rosales, I want to be a writer. And they haven't really written too much yet, but they want to be a writer. And I, I personally firmly believe everybody's got a couple of stories inside them or at least one, but um, mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of rookie mistake that we all make, including myself is, you know, you start to think that your life's so interesting that you're going to write about it. I actually wrote an entire mm-hmm. first novel about a year I spent in a startup uh, in around, around the year 2000. And the book wasn't exactly about that, but it kind of was. And the main character wasn't me, but kind of was. And then I realized, you know what? I, I finished the book and I burst out crying, just a flood of emotion because I finished it. And then I did my best to get it out there. And then I realized, wow, I've learned how the publishing business works. I learned what I have to do. And I realized that, you know what? Just a book about my experiences might not be, at this point, might not be, what's important because readers want to really see themselves in the story. So I Mm. decided to write a second book. I just walked across the street one day and I said, write this book. I had the name and I didn't know what the book was about yet. And uh, 
and I made it in the third person and I became a lot easier. I thought, wow, it's going to be much more difficult. It was a lot easier. And, uh, and then I felt I had a much better, I already had the practice of the first book. The second book became easier. I know the third book that I've got outlined now, just a rough outline, uh, that will be even easier yet because I just know how to do it. How do you, do you agree? And how do you kind of get that through to your students and people who want to be writers that, you know, you have to really, it's not something, let me put it this way, Christopher. It's not, I tell people, it's not something you want to do. It's something you have to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. And I, I agree. I think when, when a student asks, says, I want to be a writer, I instantly try to reframe it and, and say to them, there's, being a writer implies that there's this separate existence. It, it implies a lifestyle, <laughs> a, th- a thought out toward lifestyle, right? It's like they imagine themselves in the Florida Keys typing away at, at a, you know, at a exactly typewriter. Yes, I'm going to drink um, today and then I'll box tomorrow, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And then I'll have sex with um, some new woman I just met. Right, right. Of course. Yeah. I mean, if that's the way it's imagined, you know, is, is living like Hemingway or living like, exactly. you know, if you were Gertrude or Gertrude Stein or Bukowski. John or, you know, or something, right? Yeah. And that, that's also something that's unique and probably relates to your show's topics. It's also interesting to see um, how often when a young man tells me they want to be a writer, that's what they're thinking, Um is playing out this role they've imagined. Uh, what, what I try to reframe it as is um, I want to write. Not I want to be a writer, just I want to write. I need to write, as you put it. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think it really is a need. It's something, it's, it's something that is not always in, encouraged. It's something that's pretty solitary. If you're doing it right, you're probably not out. You're probably not out. Uh, drinking all night and then boxing all day and then going home with a model if you're really working on a book. Right. Um, so, so I try to reframe it the way you do. I need to write. I want to write. And, and then I try to um, think of it as, as I said, work, but also as something that you do get better at. And that's, that's really comforting and, and ultimately the way everything works. Um, you know, if you want to be an athlete, you, you, you train. If you want to be right. a dancer, you dance. Uh, and so if you want to be a writer, you write and you do it all the time as much as you possibly can find for your, your schedule, your family life and, and your work life. I think. Mm-hmm. How would you, uh, just a couple more questions. Um, sure. how would you kind of rank story, uh, characters and, and message in terms of, uh, yourself and your, what you're putting out? Uh, what do you find more important or what you're more gravitated to? I, I guess it would be characters because you're in more in the literary genre, but uh, you know, you do mm-hmm. have plot and you do have story and, uh, and you mm-hmm. do have message and, and environment, but how do you kind of uh, rank those in terms of uh, what's most important to you and your work? I think ultimately the story is what is what is made out of those other ingredients. So story for me is key. Am I, is it a good story? Is it something that will, that will challenge or satisfy or hopefully both challenge and satisfy myself and a reader? Um, A story that I haven't told yet. I don't want to repeat myself. I want to do something new. And then I think that for me, message is often something I don't, 
I don't know what the message is until I finish the story. I discover it alongside with the reader. And I hope that what that does, because I'm not writing a message from the get-go, I hope that what that means is whatever emotion is coming out of me as the story develops and that message is revealed to me, that hopefully that emotion will, like magic, it'll be in those words, and then it'll be in the heart of the reader, too. Mm-hmm. That same revelation will be there, right. I hope. Well stated. And, and just so everybody knows, uh, tell me if you agree or not, we, we talk about all the you know, challenges of writing and all that, but there's nothing like it, though, right? It's like Reggie Jackson said, hitting a home run's better than sex. I could say that, you know, when you're writing and you're in the zone and you get something done and you say, that's exactly what I wanted to do, it's as good as sex. It is absolutely that the, the, the pretty little depth of, of sex, right? That you disappear mm-hmm. into something for a moment. You're gone. Your brain is gone. Your insecurities yep. are gone. Your, your, all of your joy is, 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 is consuming you. And, uh, and so for that, yeah, for those moments where, where you're in that story, you might as well be in heaven. Well stated. So listen, uh, Christopher, I think you, what you're doing is terrific and I applaud you because we need great writers and we need people to protect and keep prospering with the pushing this art forward. The name of your book, silence, the bird, silence, the keeper. Um, you've got the new one, which is, uh, help me out. Uh, cause I just dropped God's my on the limb. God's on the lamb God's and you have yeah. God's on the lamb and you've got word is bone coming in 2018. Why don't you, uh, tell everybody about your website, where they can find you on uh, social media, et cetera, and where they can get the book. Sure. Uh, but you can get the books on, um, Amazon and at Barnes and Noble stores, as well as if you can suggest it to your independent bookseller in town and support a local business. Uh, I would love if you did that as well. Uh, my Twitter handle is at CD Rosales. My website, and you can contact me through that, is ChristopherRosales.com, and I'll keep that pretty up to date with links to all of the stories that are published online or in journals as they continue to come out. That, and I'm looking forward to, to putting out, actually, a few new stories and a few articles that you can find that are closer to, say, blog content, writing advice. All of that will be there with links to it. Uh, in addition, I'll be, I just accepted an assistant professorship at Naropa University, so I'll be teaching classes there. I'm really excited to meet those new students and, and join that faculty. And I, on the side, I do editing consultation, story consultation to various degrees for, um, for any writers who would like to reach out and maybe get a little bit of extra eyes on their work. So I do editing mm-hmm. services as well. So that's that's about it, um, and I'm I'm really uh, really excited about uh, the about Silence the Bird, Silence the Keeper. That is a book that has been very good to me, and and I felt very grateful to have Mixer Publishing put that out. And Gods on the Lamb is really a, a fun new direction for me, and Perpetual Motion Machine has done great by me. So I'm grateful for that. Fantastic. One last question. And you mentioned screenwriting briefly because I've, I took the foray into screenwriting. I, people said my book reads like good TV. So I said, great. So I wrote a TV series <laughs> and a, a treatment. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? Some people wouldn't like that, but I liked it. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to boil this thing down and write a screenplay. And uh, I've done it and I've got, it got to the quarterfinals of the page international awards on my first try. So I'm happy with that. And I've got wow. people, looking at it now, but as an outsider, it's really tough to get a, a screenplay through. But TV, 
you know what? There's 455 new shows every year. So uh, TV is a different story. But what, what, what do you think of the, uh, your experience with uh, screenwriting versus uh, literature, if you will? I think it's excellent training for writing uh, for writing literature. It's it really uh, teaches you it teaches you how to write with only what you need to survive the story, yep. and that is that's an important no lesson fat, to right? learn. Yeah, no fat. Trim the fat, and that's a really important to learn lesson to learn for any novelist. And then if you want to write a different type of novel um, and challenge yourself to go ahead and you know put that fat in there and keep you, but still keep your reader uh, entertained on it. Um, then I think you always can. You don't just because you've learned some rules doesn't mean you don't, you can't break them. As a matter of fact, I believe yep. if you, the more rules you learn, the more paint you have on that palette, the more choices you have to make from an educated standpoint. No, I totally agree. Listen, uh, Christopher, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm so glad you came on to Guys Guys Radio. Maybe we can get you back on when the, uh, to talk about your other book and uh, when the new one comes out next year. But uh, let's uh, keep in touch. And uh, I thank you because I think what you're doing is great work. And uh, it's nice to, uh, uh, to, uh, to promote and to get to know and also to promote a, a true artist. So thanks a lot for joining us on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you so Guys much, Radio. Robert. Thank you for having me, and I want to say congrats on the success with your book and, and all the podcast and everything. I think you're doing great work, and it's been really a pleasure to speak with you. All right. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much, and uh, let's stay in touch, and uh, we'll take it from there. So, Sounds everybody, great. cool. Our uh, special guest this evening on Guys Guys Radio has been Christopher David Rosales. The book is Silence the Bird, Silence the Keeper. That's kind of his core go-to book and he's got a whole bunch of other work and uh, check them out so as i promised you all we were going to take a break now and then we're going to go into the guys guys guide of the week so let's take a break right now okay we're back and it's time to uh do our guys guys guide every week uh I, t- I take something from my blog and try to blow it out to a little bit of a special feature called guys guys guide so uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I go by what usually I'm writing online, but um, this time I said, okay, let me take a look at what's happening in my life right now. And I like thinking about if have I been in New York for too long? And I've been here on and off since uh, the late 80s, and it's changed. One thing that's about New York is it always keeps changing and changing and changing. But let me, uh, and, uh, and, and recently it's been really tough. Like I have a kid, he just turned four years old. And it's a whole different experience uh, being a parent in the city to a young kid. And it's made me look at a lot of the, a lot of the resources that we have here, et cetera. But let me give you folks who have not lived in New York City a little bit of an overview of kind of the good and the, and the bad. And then you can make your decisions on your own. And it's also helped me make my decisions. So on the positive side, you know, one great thing about New York, even if you have a kid, is you're connected to everything. Uh, you've got the culture. You've got the energy. You've got the diversity. You've got food. You can get anything at any time. I was just reading an article in uh, New York Magazine, and they have all different kinds of crazy foods coming out all the time. Here's something called the trapezino, invented in 2008 by a Roman pizziolo. A puffy square of pizza, Bianca, is sliced into triangles that are split open, then stuffed with saucy classics like chicken cacciatore. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you, you get pizza in a thing that's like a... Uh, uh, holds french fries but that's just a here's another one supply the arancino's 
episodial cousin, a deep-fried rice croquette variously filled. The Roman word is derived from the French surprise, alluding to what's inside. At Trapezino, that would be everything from oxtail ragu to pecorino and black pepper. I mean, it goes on and on. In New York, everybody's mashing up food. So that's really great. You've got the arts here. There's always something to do. You've got the resources, the parks. Uh, I live uptown, um, five blocks from Central Park. It's unbelievable. And also a couple blocks from Morningside Park, which has really come around. And so we have that. And we've also got the Four Seasons. And you can do anything 24-7. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. That's the center of commerce, really, for our country and for a good portion of the the global economy. So you've really got a lot going on here. So you can never really be bored. That said, people are owning the people are a lot of type A people here. Uh, There's a lot of uh, what is perceived to be unfriendliness, but it's not just people are driven. People have their own goals and people come here from all around the world. It's like the all-star team of the U.S. The United States is like an all-star team and the all-star team for the U.S. is in some ways New York City because so many people come here from so many other towns and cities to kind of make their mark. So you've got a lot of intense people here. So it's not like they're not friendly. They're just doing their thing. But a lot of people don't understand that. Uh, and the energy is, is different because of that. And some of it feels like put, put off by it, but it's not meant to be that way. Still, when you go to other places, it's nice to exhale and relax and get to know people a little bit in a different context because people are pretty uptight and intense and paranoid and everything else here. It's also ridiculously expensive to live in New York City. I mean, everything you do costs a lot of money. You want to go out for drinks? You want to take a girl out for drinks? Okay, you're probably talking, you know, 15 bucks a drink. You have two drinks. That's $60 plus tip, plus tax, a bite to eat. You're over 100 bucks for a, a, a get-to-know-you type date. So it's expensive. So a lot of people are drinking at home here in New York, and then they go out and meet up with their friends and try to find one thing to do where not everybody goes poor at the same time. And then uh, there's so many millennials here in the city that are in debt. Um, you've got the weather, which is a plus and a minus. You've got the good news is you've got four seasons here, but then, you know, you get into the summer, it gets hot and sticky and it's disgusting. You get into the winter and it just gets dark and dreary for a couple of months straight. There are other cities that have it worse. There are other cities that are more polarized that way, but <clears throat> New York's not only always great for weather. When it is great for weather in the spring and the fall, particularly the fall, it, it can't be beat. It's wonderful. But it's not like LA where you have like 75 degrees. 85 degrees all year round it's really nice and cool cooler in the evenings um also if you have a kid education here you know depending on where you live with private school public school pre-k this and that it's expensive you'll get a great education for the kid but it's going to cost you so you got to be aware of that taxes in new york are ridiculous if you buy something but the, again on the flip side the price of real estate is fantastic uh in terms of an investment you just go and go and go you buy something Seven years later, you probably doubled your uh, investment. And then the other thing that's happened in New York, particularly Manhattan, it's been so homogenized where it's so commercialized. You have, you know, Chuck E. Cheese and Pizza Uno and all of these big chains, a cheesecake factory, all these places that, you know, that are in the heartland, if you will, that people don't come to New York for. But now they have them here. And not only that, they have them on every corner. You've got a gap on every corner. You've got a bank on every corner. You've got a Dwayne Reed on every corner. And the little mom and pop places that made New York so interesting, they've been kind of pushed more into the outer boroughs. So 
I guess New York's a little bit of everything. So you have to decide, is it for you? How long would it be for you? I'm asking myself the same question. I think I've done almost everything I possibly could here. So I'll probably be here a couple more years and that's it. But it's been a heck of a ride. And if you haven't lived here ever, it's worth giving it a shot. And it's worth going for it. Because after all, isn't that why we're here? To go for it. That's our show for this evening. Uh, We're going to be back next week. I believe our special guest is uh, Patty Conklin, who's a healer. And uh, she's been on a few times before, and she's just a wonderful person and a great healer. Uh, So thanks for listening. And remember what I always like to say, folks, guys, guys, finish first.